0: to Applied Anime. I'm Dodo Ballet.
1: And I'm Fayon.
0: Join us as we jump in the deep end and dissect our favorite shows. As always, we want to hear from you. Our podcast is hosted on listen.appliedanime.com. Our website is appliedanime.com. You can join our Discord from the homepage of that website. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.appliedanime.com.
1: Spoiler alert! In this week's episode, we spoil Natsuzuke Rendezvous. Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, Golden Time, Orange, Clonad, Madoka Magica, Your Lion April, Manchester by the Sea, School Live, ReLife, and Tari. There's also a content warning for grief, suicide, death, sexual assault, and murder.
0: So fan, what are we discussing today?
1: Today's topic is grief. So I know back like many episodes ago when I had to do a punishment game of agreeing with a review on Your Lion in April and how horrible that show is. It'd be still good to point out the fact that that show has a lot about grief and dealing with it. And that was kind of the main point of the show, not really him going back to piano competitions. And I think mm-hmm. that if you extend from that, you can see that there's a lot of different series that talk about grief and dealing with it. One thing I did kind of note, though, is that a very common trope with grief is children losing their parents and not so much parents losing a child and following the children or sorry and following the parents. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, anime is usually based around young children more so than like adults or like even if it is like an adult that's kind of the main character it's still like a relative or a family member and then this adult has now taken in the child of this family member who's died and like raising them Mm -hmm. and that child not even understanding really what grief is fully and i just think it's really interesting um to look at the different dynamics of how grief is kind of portrayed within the genre of anime as a whole
0: It's really interesting how rare it is that you see old characters in anime. The default you think of is just young people. In high school. um, in In high school. You occasionally see adults, like young adults, as supporting characters. And then very rarely you see anyone, like, I don't know, older than 30. Unless they, like, have a specific role that is not based on their own character development. This kind of seems to imply that in the world of anime, again, not always, but oftentimes, that the, uh, the character of an adult is someone who is already established. That, that is a static character, basically, that is, l- is less so of someone who can develop and more so as a, as a fixture or a plot device. To help
1: the younger ones develop, though, too mm-hmm it was like a teacher and less of like them understanding and watching them learn themselves
0: mm-hmm. i think it's just a misconception in general too even outside of anime that adults and in particular the elderly can't also continue to learn part of these emotional charge of having dynamic young characters is that they have the rest of their lives ahead of them. And that it's like open to possibilities of like, what could this person become? Mm-hmm. For the elderly, I think the assumption falsely is that, oh, you don't have anything left ahead of you, all of your life experiences behind you. So whether or not you change right now, it really doesn't matter. Um, but that approach discounts like the, the present immediate experience of the elderly in that moment which I think some would argue is more important than any future potentiality anyway so it's important to actually recognize that
1: I think there's two shows that actually come to mind that really focus on like I think one more than the other focuses on like adult characters and dealing with grief or death and there are two shows that both Dodo and I have watched now because I made Dodo watch Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. That's a tongue twister. Uh, which is a really interesting anime, I think, t- telling and portraying of a story of a character who you kind of watch grow up, but like the main focus is him kind of telling the story of him growing up and understanding the world and following him throughout this process and just really kind of connecting with him and seeing how he deals with, like, you already know that his his closest friend slash kind of like a almost a brother in a way who has died and like watching how he got to know him. Plus also deal with the grief of losing that character later in the future. And I think it's mm-hmm. a very interesting show for that. Another show that we also have seen is not Suzuki rendezvous, but I think it's a little different in that sense somewhat where they focus more kind of on the, on death I don't know i think there's still grief in it because there's there's Mm -hmm. kind of this grief on both ends of um if you haven't seen that series it's about a a woman who runs a flower shop her husband has died and now there's this new guy character who is interested in her but the husband is now a ghost that follows her all around the shop and so you kind of have the grief of the woman dealing with the death of her husband but also the grief of the husband not being able to be there for her physically anymore -hmm. And this new guy coming in and like kind of messing up and ruining the disorder of is she now allowed to move on? How long is this ghost allowed to stay? Kind of or like the pains of watching somebody move on from you. I think it's still relevant, but I think that I personally think rakugo dives a little bit more deep in in kind of grief and loss because I don't think that you technically have to have grief like death doesn't mean Death doesn't always bring grief. Like you can have grief through other means too, like losing somebody in their, your life or losing even a love interest or a loved one or a friend or like even maybe not even to death, but like um, if you look at Golden Time, you have the main guy character who has amnesia and the loss of the one of the love interests who grew up with him not having those connections anymore and kind of her grief of knowing that he might change after losing his memories of how he grew up and just like there's multiple different types of loss but we're probably going to focus mainly on death
0: Mm -hmm. and one thing I will say about Natsuyuki Rendezvous is that it's really I I think at least in concept I think it's really cool the idea of the ghost is able to inhabit the new guy's body for a, a good part of the show and is able to kind of live out this sort of fantasy of continuing to enjoy life with his loved one through someone else's body. And so sort of the trajectory of this is him sort of coming to realize that that even though his death was premature, that he cannot continue to fill to fill in as a love interest for her in a context where the the best thing for her is for her to be able to move on and that he is not going to find closure in continuing to live out a partial fantasy with her. And I think part of that is that there just really isn't closure in a way and that he continues to be a ghost even beyond the climax where she's asked to choose between living with the new guy or, or dying and, and moving on with him. Just that him having to come to terms with the fact that she's she's bigger than his understanding of her in the context of their love, even if he doesn't grant himself anything more than that, he has to come to terms with the fact that she is more than a ghost, more than a tormented soul, and that she has needs as a as a physical being emotionally and whatnot mm-hmm.
1: I think that the thing interesting about not Suzuki rendezvous though is the fact that they kind of bring in the ghost character but they also kind of do that in rakugo in a way too with the shinigami story so i don't if no one's actually seen this show yet um the show is about a man his name is kiku and it kind of it's him kind of retelling him growing up while learning rakugo to explain what rakugo is because i think it's kind of important to know is that it's a form of entertainment in Japan in which a storyteller goes up on stage. They tell a story that has been kind of passed down from generation to generation using like different character voices, acting it out physically too, Well, like kind of staying in place though mm-hmm. and being all the different characters. And so it's like a one-man show almost of just the storytelling. And like each person who does it, does it like their own interpretation of a story too. So you kind of have the variety of watching different people take a story do it in their own way and then like project it to this audience that then watches and like there's different levels but that's kind of besides the point there's a few big important stories and one of the ones that this show really talks about a lot is the story of the shinigami which is about a from what i can remember or maybe dodo who's seen it sooner should explain it
0: yeah so i mean the the story of the shinigami at least as it's told in in the show a couple different times by different rakugo performers. So the the legend is that if you're on your deathbed or you're just in bed and the shinigami appears at the foot of your bed, it means you have a little bit of time left to live. But if it appears at the head of your bed, it means that you're about to die. And so, and the shinigami is just this um, ghost-like spirit that it's like a death
1: god. Yeah. I mean if anyone's seen Death Note, they kind of they come and take the souls of the dead to the mm-hmm. underworld actually.
0: Almost like a grim reaper type of figure. And so basically the the telling of the the Rakugo story is just a conversation between a man who's on his deathbed and the Shinigami that he encounters and the Shinigami tells him, "Okay, you're about to die, but if you can transfer the light of your candle" onto the light of another candle um, without it going out, then then I will disappear and your life will continue. But if the light goes out, then if the flame goes out, then you will die. And so it's just him, like his hand shaking, trying to transfer the, the flame from one candle to another. And the Shinigami just basically taunting him, being like, oh, your hand's trembling. If your hand trembles too much, it's going to go out and him being like, no, no, I can't let it go out. And it's, of course, it sounds kind of silly when I say it, but when it's actually told by like a real, or when it's told by like a performer in the context, it's really, I suppose it's a lot more chilling. Um, and of course the story ends with, of course, you can't beat fate, the The flame goes out and the guy falls dead. And of course the performer like falls flat on their face as well like as they're telling the story at the end.
1: The big kind of thing in this moment though is that the main guy character Kiku, also known as a few different names if you watch the show, he every time that he is performing it, he sees he usually sees like one of his it's usually the the woman, right? Mm-hmm. The woman he was in love with that he kind of chose Rakugo over, Mayokichi. Mm-hmm. Like he'll see her as the Grim Reaper and it haunts him along with like the audience and like he perform like it's almost like he performs it to honestly maybe see her again but also like he also just does a really good performance of it the protege of him his name is Yotaro he the reason why he's really obsessed with Kiku essentially is because he was a prisoner and Kiku came to the prison and performed this Shinigami sketch to the prisoners, because it's about a criminal trying to fight the Shinigami and put the, you know, exchange the flame on the candle to the other one. And so, it's really interesting how you get all the character inter, like, the character intertwining with each other, and because, like, there's this huge story that's kind of going on along with it. I don't know, it's hard to explain, like, there's just, like, a web of depth in this story that's hard to explain without just explaining the entire thing at the same time. (laughs)
0: I've been informed that our spoiler, we need a super spoiler alert for this section. So <laughs> I'm adding that in here that skip over the next minute or so.
1: It's like the biggest point of this series. And I think that if you really want to be suspensed with how Rakugo plays out, that you should skip over this if you haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, no, don't, don't listen to this if you haven't watched both seasons. Mm-hmm. I think briefly, like the, the plot points that are important to know when talking about the story is that the, f- the first season focuses on the generation of, of Kiku and um, Skeroku and their relationship as two almost in a way stepbrothers growing up as apprentices in Rakugo in this pretty traditional system of like raising young men, and it is only men in the system. Which is significant, to be storytellers, and then that, that Yakumo gets involved with this woman who worked as a geisha, Mayokichi, and they they sort of have this uncertain relationship. He eventually turns her down and she ends up leaving with Skeroku going Did to have
1: revenge sex.
0: Yeah, kind of. But they end up like making a family and then she leaves the family. And then eventually she and Skaroku both end up dying after their daughter has grown into a young child and witnesses their death and, and blames. Um, and then Kiku blames himself for their death um, to preserve her memory because she was actually the one that kind of facilitated her mom's death. But he, he takes the blame so she doesn't remember her own guilt
1: because in the end of the day, he takes in this child who ends up kind of being the the hate child of his actions because he also makes um, Tsukoroku mad uh, because Sukeroku is kind of trying to change what Rakugo is with the mm-hmm. elders. The elders just don't want to accept that change needs to happen for things to last,
0: mm-hmm. which I think
1: a lot of people could learn. So that's why he gets like kicked out of the Rakugo scene. And so then together... Because then Kiku takes becomes the next protege of the master that they trained under, and becomes mm-hmm. like the next leader of the generation. Even though that um, everybody kind of knows that um, Sukeroku is a better rakugo entertainer,
0: mm-hmm. he's more popular.
1: He's at least more popular. Like him, yeah. I think he just has a lot more flair and is willing to like change the system than Kiku is. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiku's a lot more timid, but that causes them to have the hate child. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and then the, he ends up bringing up the hate child who literally hates him throughout the entirety of this life and her life of his life pretty much i mean they have some moments where the, it's not as hateful but like it's almost like he gets to carry along the guilt of what happened by mm-hmm. raising her at the same time
0: yeah definitely and that it's that that, that guilt is not just in the singular act of their of their deaths it's that he continued to live and that the fact that he dumped mayokichi like if he had acted differently then this would none of this would have happened and like even his, his continuing with rakugo as well as a way of being like i'm not good at i've never been good at rakugo i just do this because it's what i do like beating himself with that in a way it's like a self-punishment to Uh, like rakugo is a continued self-punishment almost Mm -hmm.
1: and it's interesting how he kind of deals with his because i don't think he fully deals with his grief very well until Yotaru comes in almost like i think he kind of has it under wraps in a way but Mm -hmm. my mom is a grief counselor and so i obviously asked her for some resources for this episode out of curiosity and i think it was interesting like reading through some of the topics that we were given as resources at um, the website itself is called center dot There's just a bunch of interesting like resources you can use there. There's books that are offered and um, just kind of summaries of them. And kind of the summary of it is I like this one part that said, um, you know, how everyone knows the five stages of grief and they use it a lot in mm-hmm. a lot of different movies and series um, them being, what is it in order? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked on the website that it actually says, or the person who kind of wrote the article or like a book about grief, the takeaway became those five stages. But the technical, there's technically not really five stages. Like, you don't just process through them. Like, you, there's not even like a road that you take. Like, you're going to feel an emotion at different periods of time. And it's not like, oh, if I go from denial to acceptance, I'm done it's a way of life you have to like accept yourself and accept the the event that has happened
0: mm-hmm. at the same
1: time too being gen- like just being gentle to yourself and like being kind to yourself or looking for others for help understanding that some days you're just not going to be able to hold it together and that's okay just don't hurt others and don't hurt yourself you know like i think that's a really strong message that could be portrayed in a show but i think that the reason why grief is in series is because characters maybe don't know how to handle it because I think Kiku Mm -hmm. almost wraps it up into this bundle and like kind of lets it out here and there, but doesn't really like show how much it really affects him until he kind of tells the story again
0: to Yotaro. Exactly. And that's kind of why I'm saying Rakugo is the catalyst for this, like coming to terms with this grief is is that he doesn't, like, he kind of needs to see a ghost in order to really come to terms with it. The way that his personality is, and they really emphasize this a lot in the first season, is that he's so willing to kind of just plot along and just kind of let let the wind take it, take him where it will, even if he's not very happy about it at all, and even if he, you know doesn't feel like he knows what he's doing. He's just a very passive person that will, will do what people tell him to do because he really can't make decisions for himself very well, especially as a child. And so in order to really take the active step of moving beyond um, just self-hatred and self-loathing and really coming to terms with, everything that actually happened like he has no problem holding guilt um, and just letting it stew there until he decides to kill himself he needs something the imposition of something too jarring to ignore Mm -hmm. to really push him out of that and i think because he's able to see ghosts by doing rakugo
1: and just other times too he sees it beyond rakugo also
0: Okay, yeah, but it's the, it's, I think, even just metaphorically, it's the act of mm-hmm. recalling the story. The fact that the first season is him telling the story, it's that frame narrative, he's telling the story to Yotaro, mm-hmm. is where that, that process begins. I want to also say, the stages of grief and how that's been warped into, like, a set system... I'm just like thinking about this because the same thing happens with Marxism all the time of uh, people read Marx and say, oh, well, that means that there are there are set economic stages. Um, there was like the tribal stage, and then there was the master slave system, and then there was feudalism, and then there was capitalism. When, of course, I think if you take a little bit of time, not even that much time to think about it, that... Obviously, it's a lot more complex than that that there are different social systems at different times that can't necessarily be summarized until these like really clear class dynamics. And I, that's not what Marx was trying to do either is set up like this perfectly transparent division of history into s- certain blocks. Um, and so, like thinking about just history um, and the way that we segment segment our thoughts and and try to, them into boxes so that we can reference them conveniently in the future it's it's a way of systematizing and reducing knowledge as we see with again the five stages of grief um but more broadly that that systematization is a way of avoiding grief
1: Mm -hmm. i'm kind of just feeling like you have control over it Mm -hmm. way too i mean like i think it's important to note like well my aunt just died this past year and it's been a really big hit for our family because she was very prominent in our family and kind of like a big connection between all of us in a way and like it's been a year and like you know people kind of I think assume there's kind of this assumption that like over in a year you know like you're kind of going to be over it but also reading that it's not there's no time limit right like even with Rakugo It's many, many years later, and he's Mm -hmm. still grieving and still trying to process everything that's happened and, like, obviously feels the guilt of feeling like he's the reason why they died, too, and just the fact that I think it's really strong to say that it's not, like, a a one-and-done thing, right? Like, you're never really over it. I was watching this, um, there was a really nice YouTube video, actually, about... Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper talking about losing their fathers or losing family members. And a few different points I think really stuck out. Um, One of them being, there's a moment where Anderson Cooper says, I really wish there was like a physical scar on my face that like was seeable by people and being like, look at what I had to go through as a child. Cause I think it said that he lost his dad when he was, really young while well, Stephen Colbert lost his dad and brothers to a plane ac- accident when he was 10. And
0: mm-hmm. so like,
1: even when saying this, like Stephen Colbert is like, oh, you mean like a scar, like, you know, the lightning bolt from Harry Potter. And he's like, no, I want something that's like seeable on my face that you can't hide. And I think that it's really interesting. Like, then you have people like, oh, how'd you get that? And then you can tell a story, right? And that opens up mm-hmm. the gateway to tell the story. But if people just look like the nor- their normal selves, like, like your mind kind of has to think, what is everybody else's story what maybe what have they gone through that i don't know i mean not everyone's going to be willing to say something about it maybe but like yeah it's being it's recognizing that there are those connections with people that you can't always physically see when people are in pain mm-hmm. and just acknowledging it and like maybe giving condolences if you know someone's lost a loved one or um being able to just listen to somebody if they need to talk to someone and just Um, another thing that really stuck out in that interview was like them talking about how by experiencing grief you are then able to connect with people who've also experienced grief Um, right at the beginning Anderson Cooper says when I tell people that my mom's died like they they start you know saying like oh I'm so sorry for your loss and then going into a story about how they've lost someone too Mm -hmm. and I think that it really just clicked for me right there, like the whole meaningfulness of in like the Harry Potter realm. There's these like black winged horses that essentially move the the kids from the train to the castle. But if you haven't experienced death, you can't see them. But if you do and you can see them, then you've experienced like grief or death in some sort of way. And I think it's really interesting thinking about like the experience of grief and how you can connect with other people who've also experienced grief but like in such a easy to know way, if you can see a Thestral or not compared to like in real life where it is true though, once you've experienced like a grief, it doesn't even have to be like death. Like it could be just experiencing the loss of, of your first love in a relationship. Like it doesn't humanize you. It just makes you, I think it makes you more conscious and aware of pain because one of the other articles said that once with at least like small children, it's really hard to like talk about grief with them because they have a hard time understanding really deep and meaningful conversations so they you can get a little bit out of them and then they kind of run away maybe and go do something else. But mm-hmm. there's this, um, the one part that really stuck out was if you can feel love, you can feel grief. And I think that's very true. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's like at a young age, you can feel grief, but I don't know how much you really understand of it until like maybe later when you experience, I don't know, like a bigger loss I guess with the lack of better phrasing if that makes sense.
0: Well, yeah, and I think it comes down to like not having a concept of death too. Mhm. For adults and like I mean, you might not remember the time you first had to come to terms with the idea of death and often maybe that was through experiencing like a loss of a of a family member or someone for the first time, but if you didn't experience that from a young age, you might not remember like having to confront the idea that death is a thing because it's not like something you're just born with is understanding death
1: Did um, you do you remember the first time you've like really no experienced I, death as a child
0: no I don't I don't remember well uh, okay the earliest <laughs> earliest memory I have of of death is when I was young and one of our cats caught a rabbit at our house. And we watched the rabbit die. Hmm. And I remember like, my sister was like, really, really, like an animal lover, as a kid. And so she really like, imposed that on me in a lot of ways. And so we were, I think, more upset about this dying rabbit than most kids would kids would be sad about it, watching a rabbit die. But I think we were, we made it a bigger deal than And I mean that in, like, a self-righteous way, not in, like, a real substantive way. But, yeah, I don't have any real recollection of any time when I was like, oh, okay, wow, people don't live forever.
1: I mean, I think that was something that I was just kind of taught over time that people don't live together. But I know that, I know the big moment that it really hit me was when my grandpa died when I was, like, in middle school or, like, late elementary school, I think, maybe fourth or fifth grade. Um cuz he we went to go visit him and he was like thinking like a hospice state or something like that and when he died i was going to go over to my cousin's house to play pokemon or something so like it like people said it around me but it didn't really lock in until i got back home and I was like, well, where's where's grandpa? And they're all like, oh, well, he got taken to the funeral home. And then I just started bawling because I was like, why did they take the body away? I wanted to see the body. Like, I wanted to see grandpa one last time sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I did later at the funeral, but, like, that was, like, what broke the camel's back. Like, I started just bawling immensely. And I just remember that being, like, I don't know. Like, thinking about it now, like, I don't know why that was it. But, like... Mm-hmm. It Like, something just clicked right there, and I was like, oh my god, I don't get to see grandpa again, even though mm-hmm. I had heard that he had died, like, hours before, right? I mean, obviously, my grandpa dying was really big, but another really significant – I don't know, the, the one where, like, I really realized what it means to die, though, is when we had to put my dog Hope down, because we were in the room with him when it happened, and just, like, there's something – that kind of takes over you when you see an animal or a being take its last breath. Cause um, so I mean, obviously the vet took the heartbeat beforehand and then to confirm death, they take the heartbeat again to make sure that the heart stopped and just like physically watching it happen was just one of the most intense experiences I think I've ever really had. But no and you have to like euthanize an animal and I think it was kind of my decision like the fact that I felt like I kind of decided that it was time like really haunted me for a while being like we could have done more maybe we could have done this or that and like even at the time though I was like I don't know if I want to put my 12 year old dog through surgery that might only give him a few months like mm-hmm. where do you find that balance who what right did I have to decide to is kind of what I questioned a lot and like Getting over that is still something that happens today. And like I think, mm-hmm. like I said, it's it's timeless. Like you just are permanently affected by this thing. But I think it also helps you grow in the sense of you now understand and can empathize with other people about what has happened too.
0: To relate some of this back to Rakugo, that for Kiku, the process of like like guilt is a way of being able to cope uh, with grief. Yeah. Or or deny that it's there almost. Mm. And part of that too is that he's he has such a desire to be isolated. And one of the scenes in near the end of season one, there he's performing rock a go and he is talking about how like, oh finally I've I've achieved like solitude. And of course, he's on a stage in front of a packed audience. But he's like, finally found solitude. And then you see like this, it's just him sitting in front of like this black abyss. Mm-hmm. He longs to be alone more than anything. And that loneliness is kind of a proxy for like wanting to to be rid of these connections with people that he can't avoid. Um, these connections that, that lead him to feel all this guilt. hmm So he's like, I just want to be alone. And I think that a lot of that stems from, I don't want to like, I don't want to be, be more accountable than I already am. I don't want to be a burden on this world, which again, I mean, you think of that in terms of his desire to commit suicide in the second season. It's, I mean, that is a common for people who are, who have suicidal thoughts. A lot of times it's like, I never, I wish I had never been born. I wish that I wish I could extract myself from my necessary social position or my inevitable social position that makes all of this so painful. I wish just that none of it had ever existed. And so really the grieving process for him becomes this embrace of the people around him in his own sort of standoffish way. Um, and I think that the point at which he dies is a point when he kind of realizes how much Konatsu, the girl he raises, he realizes how much she meant to him, and how even his like desire to be alone and his um, desire to kill himself, extract himself from all of his social ties, that she kept him going because. I think he says she didn't give him time to, like raising a child, you don't have time to think about those things because you have to deal with the immediate. Mm -hmm. um, You have to deal with this other person whether whether you want to or not, whether you want to stew in your own guilt or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think he finally comes to accept that he's not just a burden, that he made something good from those social ties that he was trying so hard to avoid. And that he realizes he's more than just a burden Mm -hmm. or just like a, a problem in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's especially the case when he sees her child and all the joy that that child has. Mm -hmm. He wants Rakugo to die with him, but being able to see, and I think here on the radio and I'm, I'm referencing one scene in particular here. It's the scene where he dies, being able to, to hear Rakugo on the radio in Yodoro's own sort of innovative way in this innovative medium on radio, of course, which is would not be considered traditionally appropriate for Rakugo, totally different medium. Um, But being able to hear that and hear the joy that it brings the child who's able to sing along with it on the radio, um, tossing cherry blossom petals in the air, he's able to see that okay, Rakugo is something that can like we don't have to eviscerate the, all this loss via rakugo and let it die like rakugo can become this living thing that embraces the positive aspects of human social life
1: i think that really sums it up well which means i'm gonna change the train a little bit now I'm sorry and now you're good i love rakugo i think it's a fantastic show and we didn't even hit mm-hmm. how deep it goes honestly but I don't think grief is the only thing happening and I don't want a tangent, so we're going to (laughs) turn or change topics. Um, I do want to, since we were talking about suicide and committing suicide after somebody else um, has, I think it's important to talk about, not important, but I think it'd be interesting to discuss Orange. um, Mm -hmm. Because in Orange, you have kind of that situation where the mother dies and the son feels such grief over his mother's death. That he also commits suicide, but in the show, what the show is about essentially is like this group of friends whose like high school classmate commits suicide. They grieve his loss for many years, but they also kind of move on in their own lives. But they get back together um to open a time capsule, I think, and they're like, "Here, we're gonna write our se- our past selves' letters, send them out into like this mysterious abyss where things happen, maybe." And some miraculous timeline skip later, the letters appear on their high school doorsteps where they they get those letters saying, like, hey, there's this kid who's going to show up at school. You should do this and this and don't let him die, essentially. And so the show is about them trying to stop this kid from committing suicide again in this new timeline. And I think that I personally really hate Orange for other reasons, but I'm curious to know how grief was interpreted in this show in mm-hmm. a way I don't know. I I was really frustrated, I think, maybe with the show and how it dealt with it. And like I get that if somebody has lost a loved one, you should listen and you should help them through it, but it almost felt like they were coddling him maybe.
0: Mhm. In a way, yeah.
1: But I mean like I think he needed the help, but at the same time like the main girl character, Naho, like almost Steps up as this mother figure for him to like then fall in love with
0: which
1: mm-hmm. just overall made me angry because I still think Suo was a better character than this. I get that he's sad, and I know that he's sad, but he just turned really like I mean, like I don't know, he was whiny and like angry at everything, which makes sense because you know stages is a grief, but I don't know why I couldn't like pity him either. Like, I know we were supposed to pity him and, like, hope that he lived at the end of the day. But at the same time, I was just so annoyed with him.
0: Well, and it's, like, it does, it's kind of a strange thing, too, because it's, like, hindsight 2020 where they're able to go back and fix this thing or try to fix this thing when, of course, much of the point of grief is that you can't fix it. It Mm -hmm. It is something irrevocably broken in your life basically and it's coming to terms with that that brokenness. Um, and of course maybe maybe brokenness isn't isn't the right word to use there. I apologize if that's poor terminology, but to be able to see a character like that and and know like, all right, we know that if we don't act, then there's going then he's going to commit suicide. And therefore we need to make sure we, we do everything we can to prevent it and of course the show is about like getting to the root cause of it and being able to 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 stop s- it to stop it but it makes you think like okay if he hadn't killed himself but he just had a really bad experience with grief and maybe eventually worked through it on his own later in life but he still's like suffered a lot although he never followed through with suicide or whatever then none of this would have ever happened it's like obviously suicide is a something that we would love to never happen but why is it that that becomes the point at which we suddenly start to care for each other you know like why is that the inciting why does that have to be the inciting event why can't we care for each other knowing that that anguish is already enough to be worth that care you know and i'm not saying that it can't be an inciting event for that either like again i now it's kind it, of it makes, a lot of
1: the story but
0: yeah it makes sense it's like a narrative thing mm-hmm. but but the it, it just it just raises the question of shouldn't we also take care of each other even when the stakes are not that high
1: mm-hmm. well i think there's kind of like um i think that's also my frustration a little bit with clannad i know that's one of the saddest anime that everyone watches sorry i said that really sarcastically.
0: Um... I just watched it to watch Elastor cry.
1: You're not wrong. <laughs> I really did, though. I bombed the entire thing. Not bombed. I binged the entire two seasons in one night. We'll come up right before, like, <laughs> death seed. He cried. I was like, I succeeded. And then I <laughs> finished the rest of it and went to sleep. But I don't know. The whole, like, like I think Lanad would have been a better story if they'd just let both Ushio and whatever her name is the main girl character that he marries die like if he just let, if they actually killed those two characters off like i think it would have been a much more powerful anime than the little like magical diddlywad that happened where the past suddenly like they went back in the past where the mom didn't die and the girl didn't die and like they all live this happy little cheerful ending Mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of like slightly annoyed at the fact that they like came back Cause I think that it would have been a much more interesting show if they hadn't, like, especially for a show that like plays the normal shoujo harem-ish um type of series too. Like it's a very classic school um school anime. Like a guy who's mm-hmm. kind of normal, falls in love with a girl who has many other girls that are suddenly also interested in him. But he actually chooses one, which is impressive, marries her, they have a child together. Like this is this is already going beyond the point of wow. And then she dies, and you're like, oh my god, she died. And then the child dies, and you're like, oh my god, the child died. And then they both come back from this miraculous wish that he was able to make after the child died, and you're like, Mm -hmm. huh. Well, like, this would have been more interesting if they both had actually died, but I get why they probably didn't, so they didn't get flames, but, like, it would have been an interesting story, I think. I mean, there's also, I think that, talking about, um, also with, like, Orange, right, you were saying that like, why does suicide have to be like the the make it or break it point, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what makes Your Lie in April a little bit stronger of an anime too. Is that it's not like Kosu, the main guy character in Your Lie in April, which if no one's seen it before, which I guess some people haven't seen it yet, probably, um, <laughs> is about a this um, prodigy pianist who lost his mother at a really young age. He now cannot hear himself play piano if he takes the song seriously. And it's kind of his journey with this um, really eccentric violinist who takes music from being very, like, follow the sheet music. And that's kind of what they do in competitions. Like, you judge people off of how well they can keep on tempo, how well they can follow the script in front of them. And she just blows all that out of the water by just taking everything in her own interpretation and performing as she wants to. Mm -hmm. And him kind of being the um, prodigy that he was, which was very like, he's a robot. He plays exactly as the sheet music tells him to kind of following her in this exploration of what is music beyond the sheet music while also dealing with his mother's death and how that really affected him as a child. And it's just a beautiful anime about him kind of getting over the grief, finding a passion again for piano, which he lost. And it's just, it's a really good anime. I'm biased because I'm a violinist and I love music shows, but like, I just think the show does a really good job of like showing Kosei's growth as a character throughout this entire series. From Mm -hmm. not being able to even touch a piano really, to playing piano in competitions, performing in front of people, becoming comfortable with again even expanding his gift or like taking his his curse of not being able to hear the music to turning it into this gift of exploring music beyond the sheet music of i think it's such a turning point in the show when he says there's this point where he's playing he's like go away i don't want to hear myself play like i don't want to hear myself please just make all the music go away i want to just be in like the zone almost and it's just so amazing of how well the characters just i think all of them grow in a different way but like how amazing that show was just written and expresses like the different type of grief that you experience kind of too
0: yeah and i one thing i that i see is similar between that and rakugo is that they both use that art form as a method that has wider connections beyond its execution i guess or that the the execution isn't about perfection but it's about it's coming to the realization that the form of art is integral to social connection whether or not they want to admit that at first so kiku again wants rakugo to be the space of isolation of solitude of escape and for arima his playing of the piano is trying to be as exact as possible and he feels himself sort of again just like kiku kind of haunted um, by his mom and in arima's case it's the fact of like you're haunted because you're not playing well enough you're letting your the memory of your mother or you're letting your mom down you're letting your mom's soul down by not playing well enough then what both of these characters come to realize is that the art form is at least in some sense a proxy for that social connection and that that love and that perfect execution is less important than illustrating the social connection and the generational connection more specifically and celebrating it so
1: what i also think is interesting i know that some people probably didn't forgive the mother for what she did to him too like when she hit him but i think it i do think there's kind of like and i like the foil later too but um i think it is important to know that like when people are dying and they're just really concerned like she's so concerned about him right that she kind of loses all common sense of like her Mm -hmm. love like her love morphs into this monster of wanting to make sure that he's okay in the future and i think it's such a powerful scene to see her like she does know that what she's doing is wrong and like trying to force him to become the perfect pianist that he can ever be Mm -hmm. but she's also terrified because she knows she's going to die and i think that like clearly she knew for a while too that she was not doing well because the whole um lover's sorrow uh is the song that she would like play for him constantly and i just think it's such a powerful scene when he's like wait mom there's like the song called lover's joy and there's a song called lover's sorrow why do you play lover's sorrow and she just goes because i want you to be comfortable with sorrow so like you already know that she knows she's gonna die
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and like I think him kind of. I don't think he ever fully understands her, but I think that as a viewer, you do because like you get to see from the close friend that kind of helped Kosei grow up because she even calls him like our son, implying that they both kind of raised him into this into who he is today. In mm-hmm. a way, like she acknowledges like his growing as a pianist, but also seeing it just from his point of her point of view. Of, so this is what the mother was thinking, and like. You know, like, parents are always more honest to their friends and not as honest to their children sort of feel. And just, like, so you kind of get that side story of, like, yes, she did really care. And I think it's interesting to see it happen again when Kaori, the violinist, is about to die, too, which apparently isn't a secret, so it's not sad. Just (laughs) putting it out there. (laughs) But, like, when she's about to die, too, like and the world starts becoming a lot more gray around her, and her really pushing him and pushing him to become a better pianist. Because she gets into that mentality, too, of, like, I'm going to die, but I want to make sure that you're okay. There's almost, like, that that heated passion causes it to become very aggressive and not so, like, caring and, like, loving, you know? And it's, just, it's interesting to see kind of that foil between those two characters because both, even as, like, her, the love interest, right? She's the one that he kind of starts looking up in towards two and the fact that she's also kind of going through this whole like traumatic experience of dying also or like it's also sick and kind of seeing all this kind of happen again but he's able to kind of forgive her more too Mm -hmm. because he's grown as a character of understanding grief i don't know it's
0: just a good show i think we're good to do an intermission now so there are different ways of of course as we know grief is expressed in many different ways and of course talking about anime we want to think about that in the context of Japanese culture in particular and what those sort of acts of mourning might look like and how those differ or might be similar to some of the ways that we mourn in the United States. Um, So I did find a couple articles that discuss sort of Japanese funeral rituals slash Um, traditions associated with death. And there's definitely some interesting things. Um, One of the first things that sticks out to me is, um, of course, in the United States, we have like graveyards where people are buried. Um, In Japan, of course, there's a lot less space in general, but, and it's not to say that because they don't have space, this is why this is the way it is. But That is one part of the explanation that they have. They're called ohakas, which are family graves. So almost everyone is cremated in Japan. And so the ohaka is a sort of tombstone, um, but it's for a whole family. And you put your ashes at the ohaka. Um, And it's in a sort of a stone monument in an area that would be similar to a graveyard. I don't know what the exact name for that place is so cremation is a lot more prevalent in japan than the united states and something that they do is they will actually take the some of the bones out of the ashes using chopsticks and then they'll pass the bones between each other um, family will the ritual is called katsuage and this is just Something you should never do in Japanese culture is pass like food or anything from chopsticks to chopsticks because that passing between chopsticks is something you only do in katsuagi.
1: You also don't ever want to stick your chopsticks up in a bowl of rice. Um, in China, it's it's also bad just because it resembles incense sticks in China. But in Japan, it's like declaring yourself dead because you put chopsticks in a bowl upright when you are offering it to somebody who has died Mm -hmm. and so by doing it you've pretty much saying that you are you are dead or you're dead to your family which you'd probably get scolded for if you were like part of a family but they might not do it if you're just like some random tourist i think it's really interesting and i'm sure people have seen it if you watch enough anime that they usually have like a little shrine in the house specifically made for that family member with like a picture frame of them, and usually I like the fact that it's usually a picture of them like being happy too, and not just like a stock photo of them, you know, like taking a professional photo mm-hmm. usually. And like it's really important to people to kind of make their own little shrine in a way. Um, one of the series that really emphasizes this, I think, is in Fruits Basket. The main girl character Toru carries around her mother's picture frame and like frequently acts as if this picture frame is actually the embodiment of her mother. Mm -hmm. which maybe is a, you know, a cultural thing versus, like, for us, like, a picture doesn't mean that to us. Like, a picture is just a picture of that person. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting.
0: One of the similarities I kind of see is that a lot of the ritual aspects of of funerals, both in Japan and in the United States, is that it is, like, an acknowledgement that it's a ritual and that it's not as much that, that the ritual itself, again, is important in what it signifies. And I think especially today that less and less people take it literally in what it signifies and, and that, they, that the ritual is a proxy for, again, social connection and, and family, the importance of being with each other.
1: One of the big differences, though, in Japanese culture is that people will bring and donate money towards the... Funeral itself. I mean, they still wear black like we do in America, but like they'll help offer to pay for like the service or like help offer to pay for the cremation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you don't usually see in American culture. It's usually just on the family itself. um Also in Japanese culture, the closer you are to that person is the. Apparently, you're supposed to donate more towards the funeral or like paying for things, the closer you are to them.
0: I will say too, uh, I, I think it's interesting that there's this tradition of okiyome, which is a meal that you can have at different times in in the funeral process, that this is a time when you get together with friends and family and you eat and you drink. And to start this meal, the head of the household will shout kenpai, which is like a funeral version of kanpai. So it's like, and kanpai meaning like cheers basically. So you're saying like this modified version of cheers to start this sort of like celebration to um, celebrate this person's life. Um, So I just thought that that was interesting that like this process of mourning isn't all about like subdued sadness, you know, that there's also these moments of joy. And I think you see that more, you're starting to see that more often too in the United States. I remember... I think we went to like a a meal after a funeral for a, a close family friend of ours. And a lot of it was just kind of sitting, eating, talking. So I don't remember if they were drinking or not, but I just remember my parents like talking to our close family friends and like having a good time and like catching up with people that they hadn't talked to in a long time. And they were like smiling and laughing with each other you know basically celebrating this person's life so Mm -hmm. i think it's cool to see those aspects be becoming more common in the united states and i don't know if that's also a more contemporary development in japan or if that has been a tradition for a while i'm honestly not not sure Mm -hmm.
1: well i know that my aunt's funeral also was called a celebration of life instead of like a funeral and she told everyone to wear colors and everything so like Maybe it is changing, which would be kinda cool. hmm And that ends this intermission segment. Okay.
0: brought up a little earlier faion that i wanted to bring up because you were talking about how in inclinade that there is a sort of um like a like a magical resolution to some of the grief um and i think that's kind of sort of the case with orange as well in a way Mm -hmm. and obviously those are parts of the plot and i don't think we can i think we obviously grant lenience there but as specifically as a representation of grief, I think those criticisms we've made are fair. But with that in mind, should we also apply the same critique to *Modica Magica*? Mm-hmm. Because
1: about that series,
0: because it does the sort of same move where, and and to be clear, it is explained that this sort of buildup of of power over timelines and timelines, uh, this girl. Traveling back in time over and over again, and dealing with Mod- Madoka and all these different timelines, that she ultimately has the power to save all of these magical girls from their fates, or their f- and future magical girls from their fates, and especially the fact that she's able to sort of communicate with Homura at the end as well. The fact that this series deals with grief so much as well, and like the whole presence of the, witches kind of as mourning figures themselves um, who kind of take their grief and decide that the only resolution is to destroy the world. Is this a good representation of grief? Is this like a good response to that sense of destructive grief? Or is it also kind of cheating in a way?
1: Well, to answer your question about cheating, I don't think it's cheating as much since the theory behind the magical happenstance is explained. Because I think they the show does a good job of building up to the point of Madoka kind of just becoming a god and changing mm-hmm. the whole theory of the world. Like, that's built up over the fact that Homer has gone back in time so many times. In Clannad, you are like, oh, there's this robot thing. Every few episodes, there's a, a robot thing. Oh, look, the robot thing turned back time and made everything magically happen well. Mm-hmm. Well... I guess even with, like, Orange, right, like, everything's, like, changing and you're supposed to be experiencing this whole other dimension of the world because Sua decided that he didn't want to try and woo Naho at the moment where she fell in love with him, apparently, or, like, I don't know. I get that, like, in Orange, they're trying to build up this entire, like, oh, Kohaku grew up in a different set of things that happen so like it's so different that he didn't try and kill himself that's fine if you wanted to do it that way but there wasn't really i don't feel like there was a true breaking point that was like wow this is really different from the original timeline that like magic he just lives or like i think the thing that really made me mad honestly more on that show was the movie because when you watch the movie not only is it a whole hour It's only an hour and a half movie. The first whole hour is a summary of the entire series. The last 30 minutes are kind of following the adults in the other dimension where the Kohaku has died. Or Kakuho. What's his name? Kakaru. Like, it shows in the alternate timeline, even though that like Sua and Naho have this child and they're happy, they show that sua and naho are actually not happy being together and that like i guess the entire timeline that is the adult life without Kakaru is totally wrong like no one should accept it mm-hmm. they um, naho can't be with um sua because she'd just be unhappy because she's probably still thinking of Kakaru. and it's like i feel like that's just so biased to like force the fandom to love her being with Kakaru instead of being with Sua, when like, I think it'd be more interesting if they made it like she was actually happy with Sua, which they implied during the anime and not during the movie, I guess. But there still wasn't like a good clear, wow, this is so different besides him, like not getting hit by the bus that he, I guess, throws himself in front of. Like that that moment is like the big breaking moment where he has chosen a different path. Like, it, I don't know. It just didn't feel like, besides him, like getting together with Naho, like officially, I think, is really the only big change So, like to save Kakaroo we just needed love i don't know i think the the concept of orange is really interesting i just think the execution of orange was just piss poor um with madoka like i think the there is grief in that show i think it's all embodied mostly in homura though since she's the one experiencing the consistent loss of madoka her best friend or if you watch it for the yuri aspect her one and only love interest of her entire life but I think there's also the fact that she doesn't get to make her cake and eat it too, right? Like, Homura almost, like, forgets that Madoka exists because Madoka becomes a theory. And I think that that's what also makes it really interesting as, like, that takes away the magic, right? In magic, everything happens perfectly. But in, in this series, not only does Madoka, like, she saves everyone, but the cost of existing in the first place. And I think that's what kind of makes it a little bit better as a series overall, honestly.
0: I see what you're saying, but doesn't that also make it, isn't that sort of a convenient out for Homura in dealing with her grief? Because it's almost like, and again, not, not exactly this way, but in a way it's like Monica is able to basically say, it's as if I never existed, except that the world is now a better place. Like, Homer doesn't have to keep living with the fact that she had to deal with all of these. Like, like, Modica sacrifices herself to make that happen. My understanding is that part of that grief is that you can't make, like, no amount of sacrifice is going to change the grief, you know?
1: I mean, she still remembers Modica and feels something, though, too, mm-hmm. at the end. And also, you still haven't seen the movie. So I'm not going to spoil it here again but Homura doesn't get over her grief and she actually takes extreme measures to not get over her grief. Which if you have seen the movie, I'm happy that you're knowledgeable, but I won't ruin it here. Thank you. Because I still think the third the third movie ending is hysterical, but it's fine. But no, I don't think that, I think that Madoka does it in a different way that is far superior to the other two shows. Fair enough. I think we can actually go back to some of the other shows we talked about earlier in episodes too. I think that two shows that really talk about grief that we've seen is um, Violet Evergarden and Plastic Memories. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we had the entire conversation about Plastic Memories and the sense of, is it worth making these connections with people if at the end of the day, you know that you're not going to be there anymore and you're going to lose them and like, you're going to feel sadness and, Is it worth to experience love and friendship if grief is on the other side of the coin, you know?
0: This is something we talked about a little bit right before we started recording, but I want to point out too that like it's a lot of the common thread in these stories is like characters dealing with, well, would it be better never? Like the the question basically being, is it better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all, right?
1: Mm the cliche question question.
0: yeah and the answer is always in these stories yes it's better to have loved and lost it's always better to live with the grief and continue onward um, than to just eviscerate everything that is always the solution
1: i think it's healthy though because i think at least personally i still think that it's worth to experience something that might have ended up bad but to have experienced it even something to learn from it or like to not regret something that you've done is just a really strong way of living.
0: Yes. But the point I want to make is that this narrative is always written by people who come out of it. You know, these are stories written by living people. I'm not saying that the, that the conclusion is wrong. I'm saying that we don't, or or let, let me put it this way. Because we are living people, we always are working in the realm of having loved and lost. There's no, we can't eviscerate ourselves because if we do, then we're not here anymore. And so we see that every attempt to eviscerate and continue living doesn't work and that those figures who try to do that are always tragic figures or they're villains. So we never really have to really come to terms with the fact that for some people, never having loved at all, and I say this question more as like a proxy also for for death in a way, like what if we get like a Kiku who decides that, okay, like suicide is the only is the only option and roll credits. The, and again, it's not to say that that is sometimes a, a good solution, but that is just to say that we that that is the conclusion reached by people and we don't get enough stories about that having to deal with those consequences.
1: Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the previous episode about delinquency right Like we can't have we have there'll probably never be a series where people who are stealing from other people, can be protagonists if they're just plain out evil and there's not like a reason why they're stealing. Like how do you write a story where the conclusion is like, I'm going to go commit suicide. Like, I don't know, Romeo and Juliet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like what, like how do you even follow a story like that? Like you follow the ghosts that have committed suicide or something or, or what? Like, I don't know how you like, or you just talk about, everybody in their family that had to experience the loss of these two characters, which even then they'd be like, Oh, they shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. But you still wouldn't even get the point that you're trying to get across. Like there's no, right. I don't think there is a way to write a, not even a happy ending, like an actual conclusion to something that would, or like nobody would ever okay that because it's pretty much okaying the idea of suicide. I guess it depends on the type of suicide too. Like if it's, For reasons of, like, I'm sad I want to commit suicide, maybe it's definitely deemed not as okay. Whereas, like, someone who's terminally sick and wanting to go on their own terms without having to deal with, like, going through four months of harsh cancer treatments.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, I mean, there is... I guess that was a really interesting Grey's Anatomy episode, actually, once that I watched about... It was either Grey's Anatomy or private practice but um Amelia one of the characters who's like a the sister of Derek the brain surgeon she's also a brain surgeon one of her friends gets tested to see if she has Huntington's disease because her mother had it and she finds out that she does and so her friend commits suicide because she just doesn't even though it might be years down the road you never know when it's going to really hit you um she never wanted to hit that point where she started being because she saw what her mother went through and she never wanted to do it and that was just And, like, and then the story followed Amelia dealing with the death of her friend and, like, Mm -hmm. how traumatic it was and, like, how kind of terrible it is. But it's a truly, like, it's a real topic, though. Like, how, like, patient-assisted suicide is something that is obviously not something in America, but other countries are doing it. But, like, you also have, you know, we do it with our pets with euthanasias, too. Like, I can't pay for this surgery is it worth putting my animal through this surgery if it's only going to be for a few more months? Mm -hmm. The question I always asked, or I asked myself when I was younger was, is it worth, are we doing this for us, like me and my mom, to keep my dog alive, or are we doing it for him? Right. And at the end of the day, it was, if we did the surgery, it would have been for us probably, it would have been for us to try and keep him alive longer. Mm -hmm. And so if we wanted to do it for him, we would let him live out the... Rest of his days as long as he could. And then when we had to, we'd say goodbye. It's kind of like with Alzheimer's patients, too. Sometimes I think, I'm like, are you really living if you can't? Like, yes, there's maybe moments, but like, is it really living?
0: I mean, this raises really like essential, important questions about what it means to be an individual, what it means to be a person, and
1: mortality.
0: Or mortality, and specifically, like, and you're talking about well like is this keeping someone alive or or having patient assistance suicide or, or whatever is one's the value of one's life determined by oneself or by other people or other beings or just the external environment in general it's so like it's really it's not a question you can really cleanly apply any utilitarianism to or any utilitarian measurement to, and it's a question that just becomes really hard to deal with. And I think that's again, like going back to Rakugo, I think that's a question that it's dealing with in 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 how it addresses this these inevitable social connections. And so what I'm trying to think more about is like what about the like a like a version of Kiku that sees those social ties, and decides that he would rather have his ultimate solitude, than try to find this reconciliation, or or a version of Kiku that can't find that rec- reconciliation through those social ties, that even if we, like, there sure when and we know that plenty of times that that does become. A success story that people are able to find a sense of meaning and hope after after grief. Well, not after grief, but like in dealing with grief and dealing with hopelessness, that they're able to make like familial familial connections and and connections with their friends and the people they're around and be able to discover a sense of of meaning in that way. My question is, how do we deal with The case that is also real, that also happens of those who cannot find that reconciliation through those social ties, through friends and family or whatever, that that still does not become a sense of meaning for them. And so the, the value of their individual life to themselves becomes all that there can be
1: I mean, I think it's kind of depicted a bit in this one movie that I was forced to watch by a friend called... Um, it's a movie called Manchester by the Sea, which is about this guy who lives kind of this mundane life as a repairman. It's just like really kind of realistic compared to a lot of other series, and his his brother dies, leaving the son in his care... And like throughout the movie, you find out that this guy, he had friends over one night and accidentally left a log on the fire, which ended up burning the entire home, killing his two children and his wife. No, sorry, his two children. And his wife leaves him because she just can't handle being with him anymore after that incident. And he's always just like, it's kind of following him throughout the guilt of causing the destruction of his own family. And like at the end of the movie, his like brother's kid, instead of forcing him to move to where he lives and like go back to his mundane life, he does the thing where he actually arranges he arranges for the kid to live with like some family friends so he can stay in the same area. And then he just kind of goes back to his mundane life. And like it's almost like this mm-hmm. tragic in a way of the like they they like cross paths. There's all these complications of them trying to like be together and Finding out about the son's like personal life and also like where he's out in this town and him like coming back to the, his old town where he's known for, you know, killing his family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like at the end of the day, he just is like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. Like, it's too painful. Like, I'm I'm leaving and mm-hmm. you don't want to come with me. So here's where you're going to stay and like literally kind of abandons him, but like thoughtfully abandons this kid. And it was like kind of, kind of tragic in that sense of like it. Maybe it's not suicide, but it's still that like denying connections between him and everybody else around him, and not okay. really like learning from the experience too, which was kind of interesting. That sounds like a really good movie. <laughs> it was interesting. There's a lot of things that kind of bothered me, but like they were generic stereotypes that I think just made it more realistic as a series. Because like you know his his ex wife remarries and has another child with somebody else Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and of course like they still have like feelings there's like feelings there i don't know if they're like romantic still but there's definitely like they shared a bond obviously um together
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i think he still like in a way loves her and but he also knows that it's he also just doesn't want anything to do with her at the same time because it just probably brings up all the grief he feels for what happened to. yeah so there you go, an American film that kind of hits what you were talking about.
0: Yeah, listeners, if you have any other other anime suggestions that are related to that.
1: I feel like Friendship's just too prevalent prevalent in anime yeah. to be that, though.
0: Yeah, well, and I think it's just rare to see a, a an anime that has a... It's just not as, as common. I don't think it has to be form. anime,
1: though. It could be any size, like main source of media.
0: Yeah. I actually, I think in literature, it's a lot more common to have an, an ending that is either ambiguously tragic or more explicitly tragic that cannot be reconciled in any way. Um, and as a student of, of literature, maybe that's why my instincts are more driven towards that.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that we won't have time to talk about these series, but there are a bunch of series that also kind of deal with grief and like getting over it too. That. If you guys are curious about other series, um, I know that *Tari Tari* is one of my favorite series. That kind of deals with like um, this girl getting—it's kind of like *Your line April* in the sense of like a girl who's lost her mother, who's been like, who is really into music and really pushed her. Like instead of the mom pushing her to be like amazing at piano or anything, she kind of pushes herself because she wants to show her mom that she can, or like you know, get the the acknowledgement that her Mm -hmm. mother is, like, proud of her. Um, So she kind of pushes herself slash distances herself from her mother, because she kind of sees her mom as, like, this playful musician sort of feel, instead of, like, her being like, I'm gonna be studious, and I'm gonna, you know, show the world music from, like, your eyes, but then her mom dies, so, like, she kind of loses her interest in music to then refind it through friends and um, stuff like that, which is, I don't know, it's a really good show, too, about Getting over, like children getting over grief. Like I said, it's a very common, it's so common that it's always the children trying to like cope with the death of a parent. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: full metal alchemist, they literally try and bring their mother back from the dead mm. using alchemy. Like, that's literally episode two. And by trying to bring her back, what they do is they end up bringing a monster into the world while also losing, well, Ed loses his arm and his leg. And then, um, Alphonse Alphonse loses his entire body, but luckily Ed is able to seal his soul into a suit of armor. And there mm-hmm. you go, Full Metal Alchemist.
0: That sounds a little bit similar to Evangelion in a different way. Fair enough.
1: I mean, Ava also has apparently some death of parents also, I read.
0: Yeah, the death um, of the mom, and then the dad builds the the max, And it's, yeah, I won't get into it, but yes.
1: Well you could also think about Chobits too. Mm-hmm. That's one. There you go. Parent loses children, kind of. The main girl the woman who runs the the facility he stays at, oh. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can't have children, so they make chi and the other one's name that I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember their real names. But like her kind of losing chi in a way, or like losing their other daughter. I don't know. It was, it was very complicated because the other, <laughs> like the older daughter, was in love with the husband or something like that, and then yeah, um, it got weird. But like, when didn't Chobits Chobits get weird? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Real Life also has an interesting one too with the loss of like a coworker or a senpai character, mm-hmm. which was interesting and like how that just kind of instead of being able to grieve and really process the situation, he ended up just um. One, he was infuriated by the people in the company not grieving her death because, apparently, having a strong female woman in an office space where people are angry because they are not her, or like, you know, it's like the the cliche like coworker thing where, in anime, where like the other coworkers are jealous of how successful she is, and then all the boss can say is like, she was a really hard worker, and then mm-hmm. him working under him under her of course knows more about her personal story knows that she was constantly bullied which was never mentioned by the boss at all and all these people kind of like oh yes her death was so sad when like she committed suicide Mm -hmm. and him just not being able to handle it getting really angry at the company and then that literally tarnishes his name to be in any other company to the him just becoming a neat essentially and Luckily, mm-hmm. he's able to kind of relive his life and experience like what it's like to not only get over the grief eventually, but also remember what it's like to have hopes and dreams in a way too.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just a lot of different series. Oh yeah, I'm I'm looking through my my anime list right now, and there's just a ton of examples of. You kind of mentioned this earlier before we recorded, but the a couple shows we talked about in Distortions and Moe is. School Live and, mm-hmm. well, we mentioned Happy Sugar Life a bit earlier, but two shows where or attempts to deal with grief take on, like, real extremes. And School Live, the attempt to cope with, and again, not just specific with, like, a specific death, but, like, with just the, the trauma of um, most of the people you know being dead and having to live through a zombie apocalypse and just the character's total denial about it or attempt to be in denial about it and living in like a high school fantasy and then of course in happy sugar life these characters really just not really fully accepting death or or i don't know i don't know how to describe it even that just
1: there's no remorse though in that one Mm -hmm. when it comes to death though too
0: yeah, maybe that's not a good example for grief then.
1: Not really. I mean, the lack of grief is almost, like, interesting in that series. Like, the absence of it. Like, there's no grief at all with the main girl character killing her best friend and mm-hmm. everything just for the little girl. I mean, there's also kind of... You can almost talk about this kind of only the manga, the grief of the mother's downfall in the whole situation
0: mm-hmm.
1: of, like... You know, the rape to the children to like losing everything that she ever thought her life was going to be to then becoming a really young mother and having these children that she doesn't even really know how to care for. But like having to be that person that steps up at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know, the tragic, kind of a tragic heroine in a way. Not even kind of it. She is a, just a tragic heroine. Um Anohana is one that we is also known as one of those like really sad animes that people cry to. And mm-hmm. I know this is going to upset a lot of viewers. Dodo and I didn't really enjoy the show. To be honest, we both don't remember why. I personally thought the yeah. ending episode though was actually got me a little bit. I was like, "Wow, this is actually pretty sad. Like they're playing hide and go seek for the last time." And then Dodo just thought it was over the top.
0: Yeah. Like I I thought like the trajectory of the show for the most part wasn't too bad. Like it was interesting to see him, the main character trying to deal with the loss of his childhood friend. um, And like someone he, he had more than just friend feelings for, but it was complicated. Cause there is like, is his relationship with her. He kind of has to come to terms with that it was just as much bound up in the rest of their friends as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it's not just him alone trying to mourn the loss of his friend. It's that all of them realize they have to come together to really quote, put her soul to rest and, Mm -hmm. and really like deal with themselves. And then that way, you know, it's, it's very similar to your line, April, very similar to Rakugo has this same trajectory of, Oh, you can't do it alone. You know? You, you can't you can't deal with your grief alone you need to embrace like the the inevitable the inevitability of the social imposition
1: but i think it's really important to note that that's like something that you need though like you can't actually go through grief alone i don't think
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: because like a lot of it comes down to being able to talk with somebody about it or like you're not just in your own head because when you're in your own head that's the most dangerous time like mm-hmm. you need to be able to talk to somebody about it it's all over the grief handbook that yeah, I browse
0: through too. And I agree with that. I'm just my, the the problem that I have from the previous question is like, like when, when that fails, you know?
1: I know, but like, you can't, I mean, like it's, you can't fail that in a, in a show. I mean, yeah. you okay, you can, and they do it in books all the time, like you said, but like for media, that's meant for people who are prob like, people aren't going to want to see that happen.
0: I want to see it happen. I'm
1: not saying I'm you... Sorry. Can't. I'm I not keep
0: pushing it, but...
1: I'm not going to have this argument with you on this right now. Okay. I mean, there's just no good answer for you. No. There's no right. answer that's ever going to, like, settle whatever you're hoping for. Like, there I probably is a movie of some sort that has that.
0: I'm just complaining about it. I know. I don't need a resolution.
1: But your resolution of, like, having that... Actually makes me uncomfortable as a person. Why? I just because I don't I don't know probably because I. Uh,
0: because it implies that suicide's okay.
1: I guess yeah.
0: Well, uh, that's I think that's a <laughs> a misconception then, or maybe I just totally strawmanned you, and I'm sorry.
1: Kind of. I know we can't hide it behind a charade of it never happening by not showing it. Mm-hmm. But I also want to make the acknowledgement that like it'd be really hard to pick that in media
0: Hmm.
1: without someone like actually committing suicide at the end, which like you could, but then like, there's no good way to resolve it. Cause like, no matter what road you take, unless that person like who committed suicide, like comes back as a ghost and is like, yeah, I really didn't, you know, regret and regret doing it. Like, that's never going to happen in media. It's going to be like, oh, they came back and they're like, you know what? I really regret doing this to myself. Or it's going to be the family members. like, What could we have done to save this person? Mm -hmm. There's just no good way. Like, the conclusion itself is uncomfortable, I think. Because it's not a conclusion.
0: I'm definitely not saying the resolution should be that we say, well, I guess sometimes suicide is all right. No, I don't think that's that's a resolution that makes much sense um, but i think it what it can do is push in the direction of formally you you're using the form of in this particular media to question the necessity of resolution in narrative in the first place being able to challenge that is important in allowing it to be Effective as a means of expressing something,
1: but I feel like if you were to do something like that, people would take it the opposite way and be like, "Oh, this justifies why we should be able to."
0: But that I think that's operating in bad faith. Then, if you're going to be worried about the reception of and the the misrecognition of that, then we're never going to get get past our narrow need for a resolution. Part of being able, I think, to be able to talk about grief is being, again, able to acknowledge that there a lot of times isn't a neat resolution or even a partial resolution. And so being able to tell a story about grief, I think formally, we should be able to tell stories that don't have resolutions and and acknowledge that the lack of resolution doesn't mean we're advocating for the alternative or whatever we pose the alternative as
1: how are you fighting the resolution that i guess occurs then i don't know like i just can't picture how they're gonna make any source of media that has that sort of ending and how they could justify it and like twist it in the way of like making people not want to when like you obviously like people are gonna see what they see and i also think that if you are gonna do something like that and want to put it out there and like break the system i also just don't i don't know if anyone wants to have that also on their conscience if someone does take that the wrong way
0: yeah but then why okay but you could make that same argument about something like happy sugar life like people could take that show really the wrong way quite easily um but (laughs) we acknowledge that but that's the whole thing is that the characters we acknowledge that the characters are way out there and like obviously like and it's at some level we we say like oh like Sato's like she's so crazy we love watching her she's she's wild, but at another level, a serious level like we know that she's deeply disturbed, and if a person like her actually existed, that person would need help, and it would not be good or fun to emulate that. I. Really, and it's because of the way that she's presented. I don't see why we can't also do that for characters who can't find social resolution to their grief.
1: But doesn't that come back to the whole boat meme from the fact that they didn't even show an episode for a week of Higarashi and school days? Mm-hmm. Because, like, those characters are also pretty crazy. I haven't yeah. seen Higarashi, but I know. And like they actually took a week off from it because it got too real.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes art gets too real and you can play that by ear and play that circumstantially, but that doesn't mean you never created in the first place. No, I mean, I think there are limits to that too. And there's a way to do things in a tasteful way and a way to do things that, you know, like there's definitely art that is terribly tone deaf or that terribly misconstrues reality in a way that is a problem and that does have real social consequences. But all I'm saying is that, that this particular representation of grief can exist in such a way that it, does, that it contributes something important in itself and does not necessarily have dangerous implications. It depends on how it's told you know now if there were a situation like let's say that that rakugo ended with kiku committing suicide or whatever and then right as rakugo was coming out there was some prominent rakugo performer who committed suicide then yeah absolutely i would say take the episode off the air maybe don't show it ever at very least, you'd want to delay it like they did with the nice mo- boat meme. You get another nice meme out of it. But that doesn't mean you never create that art in the first place because of that potential, you know?
1: I get where you're coming from. It's just, I just can't picture a show that's going to do that like you want it to. Mm-hmm. least, like especially in anime, because it's just, I don't think that's something that they want to do. Maybe you can see it in manga, but like, I feel like how producers or how, like, kind of strict the laws are i feel like even too like it's just it's not gonna be possible to have that in an anime Mm -hmm. i can't imagine any source of media that you actually could get away with that right now like a conclusion unless like you had them die and then everybody was just like you know what yeah that was that was the conclusion that should have happened i don't know like it's also different if you're reading something that's like suicide versus like they just kind of die.
0: Well, and it's like it's not like that should have happened. It's like that happened and, well, that's it, you know?
1: hmm
0: I think it's kind of like a just a very atheist. I guess I want more atheist stories, if that makes sense.
1: I don't know, but I just don't see how you can conclude that way without, like, you kind of just have to say like I don't know how you can conclude like that unless you built up the entire story of like why this is wrong but they still did it anyway. Mhm. But people are still going to take out of it the fact that it's they think they'll take it in the perspective of it's okay. And I'm not trying to say like the art itself can't be created to do that. I just can't picture a form of media getting away with that. I mean, books mm-hmm. sure, but I just can't picture how people would in like how to in, to build up to that point in such a way where like that conclusion happens and people get what you want out of it another thing i was thinking though just now that you talked about it with suicide they don't want to produce things that suggest suicide in anime also though because there's too many suicides that happen in japan like it's i think best put by aki in one of her youtube videos of like Um, people jump in front of the trains all the time and like at some point people just stop reacting because it's so normalized and the fact that it's normalized is disturbing and then you also on top of that like the fact that there's literally a forest called the suicide forest or when i went to japan there was a suicide bridge that they literally changed the color of to try and prevent people from committing suicide because suicide is such a prevalent thing in Japanese culture, I feel like it's almost amazing that you still even like see it in anime, but there's no way that they can ever make anything slightly seem like it's okay. Now that I've thought about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah. But I don't understand how having a, a story that ends this way is equivalent with it being read as, as potentially a resolution you wouldn't want to make a show where that is justifiably the case i think the whole point of the show would be to build up to showing how tragic that really is and when you're dealing with something that is so so prevalent for a particular population it's almost more important than ever to show that because that is the experience that so many people have had and have had to deal with and that people who are still who who are living have had to experience themselves
1: well i mean maybe there is a media source like that and we just don't know it too Mm -hmm. i don't know but there's also that concept of like like if you throw it under the rug then you don't have to worry about it too right like, if people were seriously taking that into consideration, would they not try and do more things to stop people from jumping in front of the train? Would they not have like publicity things talking about it? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, America is obviously like, we're also guilty of it too, of not being the best at recognizing that there's a problem and really mm-hmm. putting it out there. Like, only in the recent few years have we gotten a lot of movies and media with, like, gay people in it as the center of a series. hmm And that's only after we've had a gay movement. Well, Yeah, yeah. Or so. Like, it, it didn't come out before then. I mean, it came out before then, but, like, not on mainstream media as much.
0: And even then, the representation is still very poor. Mm-hmm. When it is there, generally.
1: I don't know. It's not like it's not being created, right? It's just a matter of is it hitting the mainstream or not, too.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I guess then the focus is more on us as ignorant beings not accepting this source of media as common instead. But if we were accepting it as common, then would we not be more accepting of the idea in which it's behind?
0: You mean that accepting it into the mainstream would be accepting uh a... potential misreading of it no ex-
1: like by accepting it into the media we've acknowledged that this is a problem and want to do something about it to fix it more so than we have
0: so by failing to do that it's so that's part of the cover-up
1: i don't know if it's the cover-up but it's like the the failure of not having it like as easy access or you don't see it as much happening in a lot of media, right? Mhm. So the fault then again lies into the like popular opinion. But also I think it falls into what we're comfortable and uncomfortable with because as I think someone put it, I think in one of the grief things like Americans in general are very bad at negative emotions and mm-hmm. dealing with them. Cuz you don't see a lot of stuff like not a lot of media where like oh this negative thing happened, let's really like dissect it. It's like oh this bad thing happened, but it's okay, everything's happy and cheery now which is kind of, I guess we're getting at too.
0: Yeah, and, and to be clear, part of these, I think these stories I wanna see are also are very culturally critical. Like you you are able to see throughout the course of the, again, like thinking about like post-colonial literature, you see all about why, why the life experience is the way it is as a result of economic power or racial injustice and like centuries of exploitation and oppression that culminates in a sense of, you know, incompleteness or a sense of disappointment. And even if, you know, or or a lack of resolution, I guess, that can still be built upon or lived past. And so I think part of the task there, so like, for example... being able to critique a, uh, a failure to address mental health, global mental health problems in a national context or or however they're dealt with. You can have a tragedy that, like it's not just tragedy and that's it, but you can have a this tragic lack of resolution that nonetheless shows what led to that tragedy and those implications, can have real constructive consequences where you say, wow, look how how poorly uh, Japan and the United States deals with mental health. Look at like what it le- leads to. Now we can go away from that and say, okay, we need better. We need to deal with mental health more holistically and actually take it seriously and talk about it. Hello, Dodo of the future here. At this point in the episode, we continued to argue extensively in circles about the need for clear resolutions in media. For the sake of your convenience and peace of mind, I've edited most of this out. When we did finally call a truce, we both felt as though we had adequately punished ourselves enough for getting involved in such a heated, arduous debate that ultimately led nowhere. Therefore, we did not have a punishment game, but we did manage to pull ourselves together well enough to finish off the episode. So, back to it all right we already punished
1: ourselves
0: listeners you have been... to
1: edit all that
0: yeah no i'm really the one getting punished here for that <laughs> having to edit this godforsaken conversation we've had for the last hour and a half yeah
1: you'll see how much it cycles into mm-hmm. the same arguments every single time
0: but no yeah I... listeners trust me in that we are both i think punished ourselves quite enough
1: I guess we're going to wrap things up then. Here's our question for you guys this week. What shows have you seen that really depict grief in a interesting way? Let us know by sending us a message on Anchor, which you can find at listen.appliedanime.com. You can also find us on our website at appliedanime.com, which you can join the Discord page on the homepage of our website, in which you can tell us what shows that you watched. Or you can tell us on Twitter at twitter.appliedanime.com.
0: So, Fionn, what are we discussing in our next episode?
1: In our next episode, we'll be discussing Otaku 101. We'll be bringing in some noob guests and hopefully we have a good time. It will be. Thank you again for listening to Applied Anime. This has
0: been Feon and Dodo Ballet signing off.
1: One more chance, kill One more
0: chance